The reading this morning can be found on page 1132 in the Church Bibles. It's Roman 5, verses 1 to 11. That's page 1132. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A prayer as we stand. Christ has died. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would impact us with the significance of that, in many ways, distant death, historical death. This morning, would we see that our lives depend on it. Amen. Amen. Please do be seated. And uh, if that wonderful passage in Romans 5 has snapped shut, Please would you prize it open once more, because that is where we are camping uh, for the course of this sermon. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, and it can be found on page 1132 of the uh, Church Bibles. What we want for our children uh, shows what we really want. Uh, There was once a time when the pictures on my Facebook feed were full of people on their gap years discovering who they were, and also discovering bleached hair as well. And then roll the clock on, a year or so later, they were at university, at least pretending to look studious. And then roll on the clock again, they were renting uh, their first flat, often in in London. And again, the next few months, it showed them uh, smart for the very first time, wearing a lounge suit on their way into the bank. And uh, then now, I find my Facebook feed is just chock-a-block full of babies. Chock-a-block full of babies. Happy babies, sad babies, asleep babies, awake babies, christened babies, 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 often with a tired parent in the background, no comment, Andrew or Miranda. All my friends are having babies. It is in vogue. And it is fascinating talking to the parents of those children to find out what their hopes and their fears are for their child or children. For it reveals very deep things about the parents. What we want for our children 
shows what we really want. And what I'm going to do now in the light of uh, little Naomi's baptism is to be so bold as to suggest some of the things which I want for her, if I may. If you won't allow me, I've got a different sermon to preach. And indeed what I want for every other child growing up here at St. Michael's Church, and indeed what I would like for myself and for you, whether or not you are a child today. And they all come from our wonderful passage, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. And as Charles mentioned earlier, for the regulars, we're at the start of this little three-part series looking at those uh, oft-repeated words in the communion liturgy, Christ has died, Uh, that's our uh, topic for today, Christ is risen, come back next week, and Christ will come again, that's in two weeks' time, that's what we're looking at in two weeks' time, I don't know whether he will actually come back in two weeks' time, but that remains to be seen. But I suggest that Christ has died is a groundbreaking statement and is actually a historical event which radically changes what I want for little Naomi. So that's where I'm going to ground this sermon. The first thing I would like to pray for Naomi is this. I'd love to pray for her to have a clear conscience because God has forgiven her. A clear conscience because God has forgiven her. And this is from verses 1 to 2 of chapter 5. Let me read verse 1. Of the follower of Jesus, the Apostle Paul writes, Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, of course, it may seem a rather odd, maybe even a rather offensive thing to pray for little Naomi to be forgiven. After all, being forgiven strongly suggests that she's done something wrong, And being forgiven by God strongly suggests she's done something to offend God. I mean, she looked so cute. She was slightly grisly just before she came up, but she was so lovely. Up there, Naomi, sweet little Naomi, forgiven. Really? Is she guilty? Yes. Yes, she is. Children, teenagers, adults alike, all of us here in this room. The Apostle Paul has been at pains to logically persuade us through Romans chapters 1 through 4 that we are terribly guilty before the God of the universe, the God who made us. There's been a lot in the news recently about the dangers of sugar, hasn't there? You can't have missed it. Uh, Lifestyle Sunday paper supplements uh, giving me advice as to how to cut the stuff out Uh, sugar taxes being mooted, exposés on those killer caramel uh, coffees being sold down the road, sugar. And to start with, I thought I was above it all. It had nothing to do with me. I'm not one of those awful people who has sugar in their tea, I thought, looking down my nose at the rest of humanity. Uh, But then I began to see the sheer prevalence of the stuff. Sugar is everywhere. It's in the most innocent of foods. I found that my yogurt, if you look at the packet, is full of sugar. I found that my banana, believe it or not, is full of sugar. I found, and this was the real groundbreaker for me, my bran flakes, full of sugar. Can you believe it? Sugar is all pervasive. It is even in the stuff I thought of as being good for me, the very best of foods. And so it is with sin and our accompanying guilt that we feel. Many people think that this business of sin is beneath them. After all, I'm not a murderer, I'm not an adulterer or a tax fiddler like those offshore naughties in the press at the moment. I I don't have sin in my life. One teaspoon of it or even half a teaspoon of sin. You will not find it 
in my life, I say. I'm not like all those other awful people looking down my nose at the rest of humanity. That is until we realize the sheer prevalence of the stuff. It is everywhere. Not sugar, but sin. It is in even the most seemingly innocent of behaviors. I began to see that even my best deeds were tainted by pride, for example, and the desire for others to see me and to thank me and to celebrate me for doing that good thing. Even the good I do is done on my own terms, not according to someone else's terms. It's what I want to do and when I want to do it. Thank you very much. It's the spiritual equivalent of finding sugar in one's bran flakes. I found sin in even my best behaviors. My life is riddled with it. It is all pervasive. You know, it's often said that of the many things we need to teach children and you need to teach Naomi, sin and selfishness is not found amongst them. It is hardwired into the human heart. After all, isn't mine one of the first words donned by the child and a word oft repeated in the adult heart from then on. And all of that means that we're guilty, not just of wronging people around us, but of wronging the God who owns us, who made us, and who demands that we image him as his image bearers in the world. You know, the longer I'm in pastoral ministry, the more I realize what a very big deal guilt is for the human race. The human conscience will not leave the human person alone. The guilty conscience, sometimes the symptom is sleeplessness in some, or restlessness, or self-loathing in a minority, or perhaps for most of us just a nagging memory which we wish we could erase, an act we wish we could undo. And whether it's Lady Macbeth's out-damned spot or that famous scene, have you seen the film Atonement, Kieran Knightley? There's a famous hand-washing scene and she keeps on washing those hands and she keeps on washing them. And it's indicative of the guilt we all feel and the need we feel to be washed. As the famous 20th century Swiss physician Paul Tournier writes, we have this deep-down sense that everything must be paid for. In America, there is a gravestone, I'm told, with a simple inscription on it, and it says this, I want to stand where you're standing. I want to stand where you're standing. And underneath those words on that gravestone is the moving and true story of an incident which occurred during the American Civil War. And I'll read it to you. A soldier only 19 years of age, was part of a firing squad assigned to execute a man guilty of treason. And as he closed one eye and took aim down the barrel of his gun, he was horrified to see that he knew the man he was about to shoot. And so, of course, he lowered his gun. He walked over to his captain and he said, I can't do it. That man has a wife and children at home. If I shoot him, I not only end his life, but I end their lives too. I can't do it. But everyone knew that the punishment for treason was death. The price had to be paid. So after a short discussion, they came up with a plan. They agreed that the young soldier could take the condemned man's place. The 19-year-old marched up to the captive and said simply, I want to stand where you're standing. The captive took his blindfold off, walked away back to his family and his life, 
but his freedom came at a great cost to another, the young man who had chosen to die in his place. And so ends the quotation. Let me read verse 1 again. Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, we have been justified by Jesus' blood. By his blood, by his death. The word justified, the way we teach it to the children sometimes is by saying this. When we are justified, God the Father can look at us and see all of us, our darkest secrets, and it's as if, it's just as if I'd done nothing wrong just as if I'd done nothing wrong. It's a way of, it's a legal way of saying he offers us forgiveness through Jesus' death on the cross. For his son, Jesus Christ, willingly marched up to us, the guilty human race, riddled with sin, which has to be paid for, and he said to us, I want to stand where you're standing. I want to pay the debt you owe to God the Father, and as he died the death, I should have died, and so should you. He took the sin and the guilt and the punishment onto him for all who would accept it. It's a very moving picture we saw acted out with Naomi. It's a picture of God's deep-down washing, not only of our hearts, but of our consciences. God, the only one who can clean us on the inside And that, may I say, is the first thing I pray for little Naomi, or Petit Poisson, as sometimes I call her, that she would have a crystal clear conscience, be able to sleep easily at night, not because she's an eternal optimist, but because she knows she's forgiven by God through Jesus' death on the cross. The second thing I want for her is this, a secure future in eternity, a secure future in eternity. End of verse 2, let me read it. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Andrew Miranda, Naomi is blessed to have you as her parents in so many ways. And like any other parent, you will long for her uh, to be physically and mentally healthy and to exercise her brain. By Judging by you, she'll have quite a brain uh, uh, intellectually and enjoy that and use her body for, for sports and be popular and have financial security. And those things would be wonderful, a secure future. And we'll be praying for that with you. But notice that my heading contains two words at the end of it, which really are quite key, a secure future in eternity. And in a way, I'm sorry I had to include those two words, but I had to. Uh, Because God does not promise Naomi, nor any of the rest of us, a secure future uh, materially in the here and now. He doesn't promise it. His son, Jesus Christ, lived a life in many ways of obscurity as a refugee in poverty. And of course, we remember him just behind me with a cross. It just reminds us that his life was many things, but it was not secure In fact, it was defined by insecurity, and so it is for his followers today. Did you notice that in the passage when it was read so well by Iona in verses 3 to 4? Quite striking. We glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope, that is, hope in heaven. So for Naomi, we pray that suffering will be nothing for her to be afraid of, something which God will use to sharpen her her hope in heaven to come, her eternal home with God the Father. But God does promise a security in 
eternal terms, which beggars belief. It really is amazing. To every believer, he promises what Paul calls the glory of God, end of verse 2, the glory of God. Glory. How would you define glory? People really struggle. The way I describe it is it's God's good godness, undiluted. It's God undiluted, his godness. And this day which Paul is referring to here is the day when God's glory will fill the whole world and eradicate all the damage which sin and suffering does, as we heard in our prayers. As it's often been said, it will be the day when there'll be no more hankies, no more hospitals, and no more hearses. And that coming day is 100% certain for the follower of Jesus Christ. And that is what we pray Naomi will come to look forward to personally. You know, I'm told that there are two ways of communicating hope in sign language. The first is this. It's a shaky hand and it's maybe hope. Uh, You know, I I hope it's going to be sunny tomorrow. Well, good luck to you. Uh, I hope that the England football team will one day win a big tournament. You know, it really is emphasis on the maybe there. But there's another kind of hope in sign language, which is this. It's a solid fist in the hand, and that is certain hope. I hope that the sun will rise tomorrow. I hope that I'll have some of that lovely christening cake. As a Christian, I hope that I will have an an eternity which is secure. Rock-solid certainty. And that is what I pray for Naomi to have, because Jesus died for her. And if she receives his forgiveness the hard thing, then certainly she will have the easy thing of being welcomed into the Father's arms in eternity in heaven. The third thing I want for Naomi as I close is this, knowledge that she is loved by God. Knowledge that she is loved by God. This is verses 5 to 8, wonderful verses. I'm going to read one of my favorite verses in the Bible, verse 8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Don't you think that one of the good gauges of how loving an act may be is the level of personal cost accrued in the act of love? That is why a Fortnum and Mason's voucher is more loving a thing to give than one Tesco club card point. The greater the personal cost, the greater the love. It's one metric to use. And so it is here that this act of love is surely the costliest ever shown, therefore the most loving. For it did not cost God, the Son, just his time, uh, or his energy, or his finances, or his reputation only. It cost him his life. Fortnum and Masons eat your heart out. That is cost, and therefore that is love. How deep is that love? And the marvel is not only in the depth of the love, but the constancy of it, the surety of it. There was a great double-page spread in the Times last week, no, two weeks ago, and I commend it to you. You'll have to take out an online membership because you have to pay for the content now, but maybe you already have it. You can borrow it from a family member. Great article. It's about the stress of being a teenager in the UK today. So just read it, store it up for a few years' time. It was very helpful indeed. And one of the big stress busters this article recommended as parents for a teenager is constant love, unconditional love for your teen. 
And that is a very, very rare thing indeed, may I say, in 21st century London. So many parents make their love conditional. They don't want to, but they do, on the child getting the A-star grade or getting into the first team, that sort of thing. And it leads to a huge worry, a huge fear for the child. Of course it does, because they worry that they will lose, that they will forfeit their parents' love. They worry that, what if mum and dad find that skeleton in the closet tomorrow? What if their love is conditional on me me being a good little girl or a good little boy? And it leads to a lack of assurance. Now, what Naomi needs to know is a sure love, a certain love, an unconditional love. And may I say that human love can never be those things. However well-intentioned your love for Naomi may be, and I know it is, It will always have its constancy polluted by capriciousness. Always will. What she needs is divine love. She needs to know that she is loved by God. Because the depth of our love is always conditional upon the loveliness of its object. And can I say, well, you already know this. Naomi will not always appear, nor will she be lovely. But she still needs to be loved. For there is no love more radical more constant than that known by the Christian from him, his or her heavenly father. I think it's so wonderful. Verse 8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While I was writing this sermon, I was just pondering that truth, thinking to myself, why? Why did Jesus Christ die for me? Have you ever asked that question? I, I don't know. From this pulpit, we give lots of answers, but I don't know the answer to that one. I don't know why Jesus Christ died for me. I just know that the answer to that eternally wonderful question, why did he do it, must rest not in my loveliness, but in Jesus' love. And so I pray that Naomi, in the middle of everything else she counts as valuable in this world, will know this, that she will know that God the Father loves her Because he's demonstrated it in Romans 5, verse 8. God has demonstrated it by Jesus' death on the cross. May Naomi come to savor that truth for herself one day. Let's close in prayer. Christ has died. Heavenly Father, we pray that Naomi would come to know the full wonder of that truth for her in in your good timing. We pray that for all of us here, that we would have consciences, our guilt forgiven, cleaned, washed by Jesus' blood, that we would know the the security of an eternal future with you, our Father, through Jesus' death, and that we would know that your love for us through Jesus' death is unconditional for Jesus' namesake. Amen.